The following episode of Annals on Call is brought to you by Annals of Internal Medicine. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts and participants during this episode are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of the American College of Physicians, the editors of Annals of Internal Medicine, or the institutions that the speakers are affiliated with unless so identified. All relevant financial relationships have been mitigated. Information contained herein should never be used as a substitute for clinical judgment. For more episodes, links to CME and MOC, or to view disclosures, visit go.annals.org slash on-call. So-called pre-renal isotemia versus, for example, acute tubular necrosis is lost in this distinction, which is a criticism of the classification system. Welcome to Annals on Call, a podcast based upon articles from the Annals of Internal Medicine in which we discuss the implications of the article for you, the listener. This is Dr. Bob Centaur. I'm Professor Emeritus at the University of Alabama at Birmingham and former chair of the Board of Regents for the American College of Physicians. In this episode of Annals on Call, we discuss an article titled, Risk for Chronic Kidney Disease Progression After Acute Kidney Injury, Findings from the Chronic Renal Insufficiency Cohort Study. Joining us on the podcast are two of the authors, Anthony Muru, who is an assistant professor at UCSF. He focuses his research on uh, determinants of CKD in rural East Africa and in African Americans. Also joining us is Dr. Chi Yuan Shu, who is the Chief of Nephrology at UCSF, who has done multiple studies on acute and chronic kidney disease, as well as end-stage kidney disease. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Well, Anthony and Chi, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Uh, This is a very interesting study because people have been talking so much about acute kidney injury and how that might have an impact on chronic kidney disease. So maybe we could start out by a background of why you thought it was really important to analyze your data in this way. When I was a fellow, this was now about over a quarter century ago, the teaching was that if you had acute kidney injury, your kidneys will survive if the patient survives on aspiration. The idea was that this is a short-term, entirely reversible condition and then your kidney function will return to baseline, which actually isn't exactly what the literature showed, but that's how the teaching sort of became taught to me as a renal fellow. Then I guess 15 years ago or so, a number of studies came out by us and others showing that if you have severe acute kidney injury, for example, requiring dialysis, in fact, you do not return to baseline. Then there is accelerated progression of kidney disease. The most dramatic example I'm sure you've seen as a hospitalist would be somebody who develops acute renal failure, often on chronic kidney disease, and then do not come off dialysis, and then go straight to ESRD. This paradigm then became widely adopted, such that in the last few years, as you mentioned, a lot of people have think that every case of acute kidney injury has long-term sequelae. So this paradigm has really shifted way too much on the other side we think. And there's a number of studies that have been shown showing that very small changes in renal function acutely associated with prolonged outcomes 10, 15 years out, which we thought was sort of implausible. 
And our concern was that much of the epidemiological literature didn't really account for things like pre-diastasis proteinuria, pre-acute kidney injury proteinuria, or eGFR slope before acute kidney injury. And once you accounted for those things, perhaps the effect of AKI or the association will be much smaller. We have to be careful not to talk about causation in the epidemiologic study, but our reasoning had been that if the association is very small, independent after adjusting for covariance, that any causal effect cannot be large. So that's why we were embarked upon this study. So you took data from the CRIC study, CRIC, and why is that study a great way to do an analysis to look at some of the, some of the things that uh, Chi just mentioned? Yeah, I, I think the uh, in, and to add a little bit to what to what she said to uh, Chi mentioned, you know, it's interesting to sort of see this generational training in, in in nephrology. And so when I as a fellow, I, I learned the opposite of what she said um, that which is like you know kidney. AKI is associated with uh, subsequent worsening of kidney disease. And in clinical practice, I had started to sort of think of AKI as a, or even listing AKI as a, as a risk factor for, for progressive CKD until uh, the finding of this study. So the CRIC study is an amazing study to, to investigate AKI. It's uh, uh, one, if not the largest uh, study of chronic kidney disease is uh, ethnically, ethnically diverse, been going for a number of years. And so the strength of, of the CRIC study and why is, is, is quite attractive uh, in, in this setting is that kidney function or measurements of kidney function, GFR uh, and proteinuria, are ascertained by a strict research protocol. Uh, and this is done every year. And so what that does, it gives us the opportunity to really capture information about kidney health on uh, an annual basis. And in this particular study to look at kidney function before the, before and after the AKI, uh, which was uh, really what was missing in a lot of uh, current literature looking at this uh, at this question. Well, that's great. So we, ha- we have a cohort of patients that are being followed, and now some of them have acute kidney injury. So there's two things I think we need to discuss. The first is, what is AKI? Because this is a constant, interesting question on my service. I personally think it's it's overcalled that if someone gets a little volume contract and their creatinine goes up a little bit, that's not really an AKI. How did you define an AKI? And then we need to clarify for the listeners the concept of uh, estimated GFR slope, because I think a lot of this study depends upon has the slope changed, and many many interns don't know what that what. EGFR slope means. So let's talk first about the definition you used for AKI. I guess we can take turns, maybe, Anthony. So I think that we use uh, basically consensus criteria. And in fact, we use uh, slightly more stringent criteria to rule out more changes in kidney function. If I may share screen, which has been disabled, it may help illustrate the point, uh, or perhaps I guess on a podcast, it might make it a little challenging. But <laughs> as you know, there are three definitions of acute kidney injury uh, that are consensus. That's basically the rifle, the Aiken, and the KD goal. And they all vary slightly, which is unfortunate, and therefore confusing for non-nephrologists. But we basically use somebody who had a 50% change in creatinine from the highest to the lowest point in the hospital. So this would be somebody who's kind of went from 1 to 1.5 or 2 to 3. 
which I think most doctors would agree is sort of real, as opposed to a point three change, which some accept as also AKI. An uh, important point that you bring up is, of course, the type of AKI, right? So-called prerenal isotemia versus, for example, acute tuberculosis necrosis is lost in this distinction, which is a criticism of the classification system. Just like when people now emphasize the stages of chronic kidney disease, often the etiology is obscure, which I think is unfortunate. I will point out that the severity of AKI seen in our study is very comparable to the severity of AKI in several clinical trials, which have looked at whether reducing AKI incidence will reduce CKD subsequent to the trial intervention, uh, such as a coronary trial and the preserved trial, which I have put up in my screen, but which I cannot share right now. But I'll be happy to send you the references. So there's been several trials showing that if you reduce mild to moderate acute kidney injury from contrast or after cardiac surgery, of the severity we see in CRIC, whether or not that will reduce CKD severity. And so therefore, people are thinking causality, and they are thinking causality on this order of magnitude, which is why I think our study is very relevant to address this issue. We do acknowledge the limitation that we don't define AKI etiology well. I would say that AKI literature comes in two flavors. There's the flavor where you have intensive data collection in the hospital, but which you have little data inside or outside. The alternative is that you have more data before and after hydration, but not much data inside, which is where ours fall into. Crick is unusual in that we have prospective study where proteinuria defined before and GFR so defined before AKI. This is very hard to get. I was in another NIH U01 consortium where we started prospective recurrent data after AKI, but the pre-AKI proteinuria is missing, as is the pre-AKI GFR slope. Those are actually very difficult to get in the same data set. And so CRIC is wonderful in the sense that we could embed this study of AKI in the CRIC study. Were you able to exclude obstructive nephropathies? So someone gets uh, acute obstruction, their creatinine might go up more than 0.5. Uh, we were not. Uh, the way we attempted to get around this was that we separated AKI for greater than or less than three days, reasoning that if it were Foley obstruction, you could put a Foley in, the cranium comes right down. If it was simple pre-renal, you could simply also hydrate the patient and get better. Whereas if it's more than three days, then this prolonged ischemia does lead to ischemic ADN, and prolonged obstruction, for example, very complicated cancer, would lead to renal fibrosis. So we try to use time as a crude proxy, and we did that as a sensitive analysis in our paper. Did you exclude the people who got better within three days, or is that just a su separate subset that we're talking about? We're talking about mild AKI versus more prolonged AKI. We basically did a stratified analysis where we separated them out. And as we put in the paper, in no subgroup did we see that AKI was consistently associated with declines in GFR, slope, or decrement by both ascendancy and by cramping. So there was no obvious signal. Some of these were post hoc analysis that we did not want to do, but the review that editors made us do it. But I thought there was no consistent signal that convincingly showed that even prolonged stage two only or stage two and three or prolonged AKI had effect. But we did not have very severe stage three cases for like 10 days. Most of the AKI in this world are mild to moderate. So Let's let's go into discussion of the 
estimated GFR slope because I try to teach that a, a lot of times on rounds. And sometimes someone comes in, hasn't been in the hospital for the last year, comes in, their creatinine has gone from 2.5 to 2.8. And everybody wants to say, well, that's an AKI. And I say, let's go back and look and see whether or not this is just the progression of the disease. So maybe if, if you could explain EGFR slope and how that helps you sort out whether or not the acute kidney injury is actually doing anything long-term. Yeah, and I, and I think that the, the point you outlined is, is a challenge when you're trying to decide what is what is a true baseline uh, of an individual. And really the, the beauty and the strength of a quick study is that we do have this annual measurements of, of, of GFR. Uh, so we are able to track GFR changes over time. And I think that uh, since we have what we think is a pretty good estimate of the baseline or the pre, pre-AKI kidney function measurement, we are able to, to discern that this is one episode is AKI and the other one is the EGFR slope. And the other thing is that we use two different sources of creatinine. Um, so the creatinine to determine uh, the EGFR slope is using the outpatient measurements that are uh, obtained as part of the CRIC study. Um, but the uh, measurements that we use to define AKI are ob- obtained from the actual hospitalization. Um, and we think that just separating out those two really help us to differentiate the slope from uh, what's happening in the, in, in the inpatient. Let me see if I can define slope and see if the two of you agree, because I think we're running a little bit into the curse of knowledge here. You guys deal with EGFR slope, and I don't think our listeners do. And the basic idea is that if you do a graph plot of the estimated GFR uh, for someone with kidney disease, each patient has pretty much a straight regression line towards end stage. Uh, when people do studies to see if you can improve chronic kidney disease, one of the main measure they use is, the, is can you change the slope? And what you're looking at is we, we can predict if we know that two years ago the creatinine was two, last year the creatinine was 2.3, this year it should be some number, and let's, let's say the creatinine should be 2.7. Um, and if it's significantly higher than that, uh, that means that it's going worse faster because the slope has gotten steeper. If it's less than that, then it's slowed down. And that enables you to take into consideration how long it's been since the patient last had a creatinine and whether this new creatinine is expected or unexpected by seeing where it would fit on that graph. Is Did I, did I say that right? Okay, because that's that's a key point in this study that I think makes it so spectacular is that you have all those data and so many of the other studies don't have that. So let's talk about the results. So how frequent was AKI in uh, your studies? So we observed um, about 612 episodes of AKI that were observed among uh, 433 participants. Uh, And this was after uh, a medium follow-up time of about 3.9 years. And as she uh, alluded to uh, a minute ago, most of the AKI cases, a majority of them were actually uh, stage one or stage two. So these were mild uh, to moderate uh, AKI uh, episodes. So 
that tells us two things. That tells us that people get bumps in their creatinine that quickly resolve. It also should remind us that as chronic kidney disease progresses, you're much more likely to get acute on chronic bumps in your creatinine. And that's something that as a hospitalist, I need to know. Do I have that right so far? Correct. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think the other point you made is a very good one, because someone might see a creatinine being higher than the baseline, which may be one or two years ago, and conclude it's AKI. But really, it's just progression of CKD. And in many epidemiologic studies, actually, they then define AKI using the same creatinine. They then conclude that this AKI is associated with more rapid progression of CKD, where we, in reality, they're using the same measurement to define AKI and to define CKD progression. Because many studies did not distinguish between you in the hospital, therefore you are at higher risk for AKI, versus they just use strings of creatinine obtained from the electronic medical record. And that I think is very problematic because you then can't use a bit of a tautology because bumps in creatinine are used to define AKI and also used to define CKD progression. Here, we try to look at creatinine in the hospital in which you are at higher risk for AKI, and then we use the outpatient, presumably steady state, not acutely ill, coming to a study visit, Cranon to define your baseline. Because to me, Cranon is like any other test. It has a sensitivity and specificity for picking up AKI. If you are in a low pretest probability of having some renal reason to have AKI, the same bump in Cranon doesn't mean the same thing. So there are random fluctuations in Cranon also just for biological error, uh, variability or whatever reason. So it is important to interpret a Cranon bump to me in the right clinical context to mean AKI or not. And we think hospitalization is a high risk setting. Yeah, I often tell the uh, students and the house staff that there's no such thing as a Cranon baseline, that the, the baseline is changing once you have chronic kidney disease. And so just because it was two last year doesn't, and it's now 2.3, doesn't necessarily mean that something bad has happened other than they're, they're continuing to have chronic kidney disease. This seems to be a difficult concept, and I hope that the listeners have paid attention to this conversation because it can help you not overdiagnose uh, AKIs. Can one of you briefly go over table one? That's, who, that, that's the table that says who the patients are. Is it men, women? Do you have good racial uh, stuff? Do you have good age? Uh, variation. Uh, who, who are we following in this study? Yeah, so we included a total of 3,150 participants, of whom 44% were female and 43% uh, self-identify as uh, non-Hispanic Black. And that, uh, the quick study purposely um, over, uh, oversampled uh, participants who identified as Black, uh, given the higher risk of, of kidney disease in that population. So the mean age at baseline was 65 years, um, and about over half, 54% of the participants had diabetes, and 11% had uh, um, heart failure. And, and Chi, if anything else you want to add? Quick is a national uh, cohort study of patients with chronic kidney disease. We also purposely oversampled those with diabetes. And uh, we try to, it's from seven clinical centers around the country. It's not nationally representative. These are research volunteers. But we think that many insights from Quick have shown to match with other nationally representative data. And so I think that in that sense, uh, it has decent external validity. 
But the strength of the study remains the internal validity. So one of the things that I often uh, am interested in when I'm looking at a study is, is the patient population similar to the patients I take care of? And this one is. This, th this is not a real artificial, I mean, it's the average age, the uh, racial distribution, the gender distribution all makes sense to me from what, what, what I've seen in my career. Now, this is, I think, what we would call a negative study. So it did not show that, that, AK, that AKI, as we defined it uh, previously, was a risk factor for chronic kidney disease getting worse, changing the slope. Why do you think that is? And what should I as a hospitalist know from understanding your study? We're massively grateful for annals accepting a negative quote-unquote study. There's clear publication bias, shall we say, because it's easier to get a positive study to get notice for it. And it's easier to explain to people and to populate on the news and stuff. So we're very grateful because many negative studies actually are very informative if the question it depends on the question, right? I think the question here has been that the paradigm, we hope this would change the way people view AKI as a, the, probably the most immediate thing is, you know, maybe one should not design trials thinking that reducing AKI will reduce CKD. One has to be very careful about that. And there have been prominent examples of trials in JAMA or in New um, England Medicine with these uh, examples. I think that, we should not, however, dismiss AKI. And the argument that people who have AKI are people who have failed the renal stress test is a very valid concept. We show that those who have AKI have more proteinuria, had a steeper GFR slope before they had AKI, and a lower kidney function at based on entry into CRIC. These are all important things. A number of studies have shown that many people who had AKI do not get appropriate post-AKI care. They should go see a nephrologist because they have a lot of proteinuria, and they don't. Sometimes the A's and R's get stopped. So I think that the lesson I would say for general audience is that regardless of the causality question, which is a very great interest to epidemiologists and perhaps nephrologists, the issue is more we should still pay attention to people who have AKI. It is picking up people who have vulnerable kidneys to begin with. Right. So someone's not in your study and they come in with a creatinine of 2.5 and it go, comes back down to two. Now we have to determine whether or not they really had chronic kidney disease that was undiagnosed. Yes. Because if you look back, many people who you found to have a gram of protein after the AKI probably had that before. Or right. much of it was present before. They end up after hospital discharge with a GFR 30. I bet you they were close to 30 before the AKI. Just maybe they hadn't seen the doctor for a long time, or maybe they never had a chat. So it is an opportunity to identify high-risk people. Even if AKI is not causing the one gram of proteinuria or causing the GFR that is low. So I loved the this paragraph from your conclusion. I'm going to read it and let y'all comment on that as sort of the last part of the discussion. In conclusion, this study more rigorously addressed methodological limitations presented in prior published studies to conclude that the independent association between mild to moderate AKI and worsening subsequent kidney function trajectory appears to be small. I love that. It's, it's a long sentence, but I love that sentence. And maybe 
you, the two of you could finish by reemphasizing that both to nephrologists, both to primary care physicians and to hospitalists. Yeah, and, and, and you know, what, what that statement is, is saying that after we accounted for these key factors that have not been accounted for previously, you know, EGFR slope, proteinuria, prior to the AKI, we're seeing that uh, mild to moderate AKI does not predict worsening uh, kidney function. But really to emphasize the point here is that we're not saying that AKI is not important. You're getting information about this patient who has AKI. And that information is that this person has kidney disease. They were progressing. Uh, the slope was probably steeper before they had the AKI. They had uh, fruit urea before they had the AKI. And therefore, they still need uh, renal care and, and close follow-up. Um, but, you know, big picture-wise, I think going even upstream, if we, you know, if we had that opportunity, the idea here, we need to really capture EGFR slope. We need to capture proteinuria. We really need to screen people for, for kidney disease so that we can prevent all of this from, um, from happening. Yeah, I would add that the analyst editors and the statistical reviewers are very rigorous and reminded us that it really shouldn't be a dichotomous Yes, no, significant, not significant. A lot of the nuance comes in the compensable, which is therefore how one should interpret the results properly as a small effect. The compensable does not exclude a small effect, right? The 95% compensable includes the fact that AKI could have a small independent association, which is why I think that we emphasize the word small. And, uh, and then it's in the eyes of the beholder a little bit about what is small, what is clinically significant as opposed to statistical significance. I thought the annual annals review process was really laudatory and uh, Antin and I got very good personal attention from the editors, the statistical reviewers who really helped us, uh, give, who gave very specific instructions to really help us improve the paper and uh, crafting our message and uh, making it more um, focused, which we are really appreciative of. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for uh, joining us on the podcast. I think this is a very, very important study and a very important set of concepts for someone like me who sees a lot of people who come in with a newly elevated creatinine. Thank you so much for selecting our paper for our podcast. Now it's time for Bob's Pearls. This important study takes important approach to determining whether acute kidney injury in general leads to worsening of chronic kidney disease. They took advantage of an ongoing study of chronic kidney disease and looked at episodes of acute kidney injury in those patients to see if it changed the progression of the kidney disease. They looked at this in multiple ways, as the article points out, and did not find any signal that the acute kidney injury episodes ended up in worsening of the progression of the chronic kidney disease. This is very important and a study that was possible because of the great data that are being collected in the chronic renal insufficiency cohort. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Information contained herein should never be used as a substitute for clinical judgment. 
For more episodes, links to CME and MOC, or to view disclosures, visit go.annals.org slash on call.